Title of our lesson this morning, What is the Kingdom Like? We'll take a look at Matthew 13, chapter. We'll uh, actually be looking at verses 1 through 52. We just read the first nine verses this morning, kind of an introduction. In Matthew 13, it's referred to as the parables discourse. And then Jesus will teach seven parables there. And we're going to kind of clump those together this morning and take a look at the general teaching. And then he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Four points. Parable of the sower, the tares and the fish, the mustard seed and leaven, and then treasure and pearls is what we'll take a look at. I'll just pull up that first one, the parable of the sower. As you take a look at Matthew, the 13th chapter, it says at the beginning of that chapter, it says that he spoke to them many things in parables. And we've talked about parables before. And most people are, are familiar with that term and that it means to throw down alongside of. So it's like a comparison. You take one thing and compare it to another. Need your phone? <laughs> compare it to another so that you come to understand. Jesus uses things of a physical nature, things that they would be familiar with, so that they can understand things of a spiritual nature because God, or Jesus wanted them to understand the kind of kingdom that He came to establish. What's the way of establishing that? What's the means of establishing that? How does that kingdom grow? And so what is it like? But before we go any further, I just want to make this point. Once again, those who are in our Wednesday night studies have heard me say this over and over and over again. I'll continue to say it. There's four things that are necessary if you're going to have a kingdom. Do we want to say them together? No. <laughs> I'll say it. you got to have a king. You gotta have a law, you gotta have subjects, and you gotta have a territory. If you're going to have a kingdom, those four things are required. So, as we've been studying in the Old Testament, God brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage, right? And then he came to Sinai. And he entered into a covenant there with them. So right there you have the first two aspects. Three actually. Of what it takes in order to have a kingdom. God's going to be their king. The Ten Commandments, and let me kind of expound on that a little bit. Is the covenant, is the law that they're going to live under. And the subjects are the children of Israel and they're headed to Canaan. That's going to be the territory. But when you think about God as their king, you think about the children of Israel as the subjects. You think about the law of Moses. And we oftentimes say the Ten Commandments. That's really just kind of the skeletal outline for it. <laughs> Those who like to count numbers and count things up within the Scriptures would tell you there was way more than 10. <laughs> and those who like to count, I'll just take their number for it. I haven't ever just sat down and tried to count them individually. They will tell you there's 613 that's included in that law. And so there would be things in regards to a moral relation between man and man, between man and God. 
There were other things that were included in, 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 as far as dietary laws, hygiene, civil law, ceremonial law. It was all a part of it. But God was the king. They were the subjects. That was the law. And they're headed for Canaan. That's the territory. And so at first, God is going to lead them by Moses. Stay with me for a moment. I hope this makes a point here in just a little bit. God's going to first lead them through the wilderness by Moses. And then when they get ready to enter into the promised land, it's actually going to be Joshua that's going to lead them in there. And it's interesting how this is done. In fact, we're not very far from Leavenworth. And there's people who study war. And they would tell you, this is sound strategy. Because you know what Joshua did? They marched east along the eastern, or they marched north along the eastern border of Canaan. They got to about the middle of that territory. And, And let me just remind you, when you think about Israel, how big do you think it is? You know how big Israel is? It's about maybe 270 miles from top to bottom. (laughs) And at its widest point, it's about 70 miles wide. God will make them a world empire, a world power. But Joshua will come up to about the middle of that thing. And then he will head west. And they'll go to Jericho. And they'll go to Ai. And they'll march right into the middle of that enemy territory. They will divide Canaan. And once they are established there, Joshua will lead them south and they will defeat the five Amorite kings because they've heard about them and they thought they should put together a coalition. But God, through Joshua and Israel, their army... They'll conquer that area. And after they conquer the south, they will head north. And they'll drive the Canaanites clear beyond Tyre. You divide, you conquer, and then you conquer the rest. That's good, sound military strategy. And what was God doing? He was establishing His kingdom. It's referred to as the kingdom of Israel. It's the kingdom of God. It was the land that was promised to Abraham a long time ago to his descendants. And God brought them in and He drove out their enemies and He established the kingdom of Israel. And there's a king and there's a law and there's subjects and there's territory and there it is for the whole world to look at. (laughs) A physical kingdom. That's the way you do it. So now then, let's fast forward about 1,400 years. And let's take a look at Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew 13 is sometimes referred to as the parables discourse. 
Seven parables that are contained here, six out of the seven, begin with this phrase. The kingdom of heaven is like. You know, back when I was in school, (laughs) English, literature, and so forth. If you want to know what the subject is, count up how many times it's mentioned. Right? And so as you look at Matthew 13, it's mentioned over and over and over again. The kingdom of heaven is like. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he teaches these parables so that they can come to understand. Matthew 13 and verse 51. Fast forward for just a moment. After he does all this teaching, he will say to them, Have you understood? And then they will answer and they say, Yes. Now, as we study the Gospels and as we even study the early parts of the book of Acts, you kind of wonder to yourself, I think they were in over their heads, don't you? When they answered and said, Yes. It took them a little while before they came to thoroughly understand this and make proper application of it. But Jesus asked them on that occasion, as He's talking about the kingdom, do you understand? And they say, yes. Now listen to what He says in verse 52. Then He said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now Jesus say, if you understand this, then you'll be able to share things new and old. You'll be able to make a comparison so that these people can understand what the kingdom is like. Now let me say this also. Because as you consider the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is really constructed around five main discourses. The very first discourse is sometimes referred to as the mountain discourse. And those of you that have studied the Scriptures more some, whenever I say the mountain discourse, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling them what life in the kingdom is like. And He will begin that Sermon on the Mount by giving the Beatitudes, describing the character of those who live in the kingdom. Right? So it's kind of like this. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Mountain Discourse. And it's kind of like (coughs) Jesus standing at the entrance and saying, Come here. Let me show you around. This is what life is like in the kingdom. And that's the Sermon on the Mount. And those who live here, they're like this. And living in the kingdom... This is the way they live. And those who hear these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So he said, listen to what I'm telling you. And you'll be like that wise builder. But then he will also conclude that sermon by saying, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That's the mountain discourse. And then following that, beginning at about chapter 10, is what is sometimes referred to as the mission discourse. By this time, Jesus has various disciples, various followers. He's been teaching them, and He's going to send them out on what we sometimes refer to as the limited commission. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go teach. And he's helping them to understand. I'm not going to do this all by myself, but I'm going to enlist others to help me also. But right now, this is who I want you to go to. And that's the mission discourse. And then the fourth one, and you say, wait a minute, what happened to the third one? Hang on. So the fourth one, is sometimes referred to, Matthew 18, as the relationship discourse. Those who live in the kingdom, this is the way you treat one another, Matthew 18. And then the fifth one is going to be the judgment discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. This is what happens when the king or what happens when the king comes back. Now, right in the midst of all of that is the third one. That's the parables discourse. That is Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like. This is how it's established. This is how it grows. This is how valuable that it is. This is why you should fight for it. But I'll teach you how to fight for it. Can you see this now? Jesus has come. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's the new Joshua, so to speak. But you know what? I'm not seeking to establish a kingdom on the soils of Canaan. This kingdom is going to go for the whole world. But you know what? There's going to be a king. There's going to be a law. There's going to be subjects. And there's going to be territory. And they've got to come to understand that. How is he establishing this kingdom? I want to add this to that also. You know, we talk about the church. And throughout the New Testament, the church is mentioned, talked about. We mentioned it even this morning, and it's referred to by different terms. But when you take a look at the Gospels, the term church is used very, 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 very few times. But you want to know what term is used over a hundred times? The kingdom. If you're going to understand the church, you've got to understand the kingdom. 
And so Jesus will use these parables. And he'll talk about things like farmers and merchants and fishermen and women. And he'll use metaphors like hidden treasure and precious pearls and tiny seeds and leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. So Jesus uses common people, common tasks, common terms to help them to see, to help them to understand the kingdom that he is establishing. And after he teaches all these parables at the close to the end of Matthew 13, then he asks this question. Do you understand? And they go, yeah, we understand. He goes, good. Because if you do, you're like a scribe. And you will bring out of your household things new and things old. See, because if you understand what took place previously, that will help you understand what's taking place now. And you'll be able to see and show people what's new. So Matthew the 13th chapter, verses 3 through 9. It says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed, and it fell by the wayside, <clears throat> and the birds came and devoured them. And some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They were withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What do you think? Hey, there's a buzz around Palestine. There's this preacher. And some people think he may be the Messiah. He may have come to establish the kingdom. Let's go down to the shores of Galilee. Let's listen to what he has to say. I think he's going to talk about the campaign, don't you? What city do you think we'll take first? As he started assembling an army, is he getting it equipped? Is he getting swords and spears and chariots and horses? Is he getting it? Let's go down and listen. So they assemble on the shores and he gets in a boat and he pushes out and he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And there was some seed that fell by the wayside. Some fell on stony places. Some fell among the thorns. Some of it fell on good soil. Thank you all. See you next time. What do you think they were thinking? They're probably looking at each other. You brought me out here for that? (laughs) I thought he was establishing a kingdom. And so Jesus will ask his disciples, do you understand? And so as you take a look at that, how would they understand What's old and what's new? Well, so far in a kingdom, 
what's old. I know this. I know there's a king. I know there's a law. I know there's subjects. And I know there's territory. But I'm having a little trouble connecting the dots here to what he just said. So in Luke the 8th chapter, Jesus explains. And he says, the seed is the word of God. And in Matthew 13 and verse 19, he states it plainly that the soils is the hearts of men. So he's saying, you want us to sow this seed, you're going to sow this seed, and that's the word of God, and it's sown in the hearts of men. Well, that's new. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe that's old too. Maybe he's always been trying to get it there. So this message that Jesus is bringing, this is radical. This is a new way of establishing a kingdom. We're not going to do this by might and by military force. No. I want to sow seed. And they'll be planted in men's hearts. And those hearts, some of them will be hard, like the wayside. And some of it may be like rocky. And some of it may be like it's got thorns. And then some of it is good. Oh. So we get one out of four. No? I want four out of four. Well, how's that going to happen? You got to prepare the soil, right? If it's hard, maybe it needs to be tilled. If it's stony rocks, maybe they need to be cleared away. Maybe if there's too many thorns and weeds growing up, they need to be pulled. Because I don't want one out of four. I want all of them. I want it all to be good soil. And I want the seed sown in that heart. And I want it to bring forth fruit. I want it to bear fruit. See in Luke the 17th chapter. Jesus will tell them. Because they're looking. They're looking for this kingdom. And you know what he says? Luke 17, about verse 20 and 21. The kingdom of God is within you. That king, that law, that subject, that territory, that's within you. That's different. So the gospel... God sending His Son. Pursuing after sinful people. Being willing to come to this earth. To die on the cross. To pay the price so that we might be redeemed. Do you think that's enough to get people to worship Him? 
Jesus said, no greater gift can a man give than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No greater gift can a man give. Do you think that's enough to get people to worship him? I think it is. I think God thinks it is. Jesus thinks it is. The Holy Spirit thinks it is. But you know what men think? I ain't nothing. You could go around in this country this morning and various religious groups and they're providing entertainment and Starbucks, which I like Starbucks. <laughs> they're providing entertainment and they're providing coffee and they're providing food and they're providing all, recreation and entertainment. I'm not being critical, folks. But seriously, Jesus going to the cross is not enough. We need to add something else. I don't think so. I think he just wants us to sow the seed. And when he finishes these parables, he says to them, do you understand? They said, yeah. But then he teaches, I'm going to combine these together. The parables of the tares and the fish. Matthew 13, verse 24 through 30. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but, to, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore. They sat down and they gathered the good into the vessels, but they threw away, <clears throat> they threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, it's like good seed that is sown in the field. But there's also tares that is in that same field. And verse 37 through 43, Jesus explains that the field is the world. And the good seed are the children of God. And the tares are the sons of the wicked one. So it teaches us a couple things. We live in the field. And the field is the world. We are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. That's what John says over in 1 John 2. Love not the world. Neither the things of the world. 
1 John 2, 15 through 17. Paul said in Romans 12, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God teaches us how He wants us to live in this world. On the final night when Jesus was with the apostles, John the 17th chapter, He prayed for them and He prayed for all those who would become followers of Him through their word. And He said, Father, I have given them Thy word. Then you know what else He prayed for? He said, don't. Don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out. But then he goes on to say, sanctify them with thy word. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. It is by that word that we are sanctified, set apart, not conformed to the world. And you know what Peter said about that? He said, we are saved by the power of God through faith. You know how faith comes? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's how we're protected. That's how we're saved. By His Word. So that's one of the things that those parables teach us. We're in the world. Children of God. And children of the devil living here simultaneously. And then it also teaches us that ultimately there's going to be a separation at the harvest, at the end of the age. The tares will be burned, the wheat will be gathered into the barn, the good fish will be kept, the others will be thrown away. we have a choice same sermon on the mount that mountain discourse Matthew 7 and verse 13 enter in by the narrow gate because broad is the way and wide broad is the gate and wide is the way that leads to destruction and many will go therein 2 Corinthians 5 we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. So we live in the world, but don't be overcome by the world. And a couple of things that these parables are showing us is that the kingdom that Jesus is establishing is not national, it's not physical, it's spiritual. And it's individual. And the kingdom doesn't come by force or by coercion. You enter in by choice. And so at the end of this, Jesus asked them, Do you understand? They said, Yeah, I understand. And then he teaches a parable about the mustard seed and leaven. Matthew 13, beginning at verse 31. Back. 
Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. And But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the airs come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. It's like a mustard seed that starts out very small and then it grows. And not different than the way the kingdom was established in the Old Testament. It was Jesus. It was the apostles. It was Jerusalem. It was Judea. And it was Samaria. And the message was carried to the utmost parts of the world. It starts small. And then it grows. And then he says leaven. It's like when a woman takes yeast or leaven and puts it in a batch of dough. And then it permeates that entire dough. It transforms. It influences that entire lump. And what Jesus wanted them to understand is that word sown in a person's heart, it'll change that person. But that person being changed, it'll have an impact on people that they are around. It grows internally. It grows externally. The kingdom of God is within you. Matthew 13, 44-46 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So now what's Jesus saying? You need to understand just how valuable, just how precious that this kingdom is. What he wanted them to understand is, and when they had found that, they sold everything else so that they might be able to acquire it. What Jesus is saying is, it's of greater value than anything else you know. In our society, it's been said, that we know the price of everything, but we know the value of nothing. Isn't there a lot of truth to that? We want to know the price of everything. But do we really understand the value? And so Jesus asked them, Do you understand these things? And they say, Yeah. Did they really understand how that kingdom would start? And how it would grow. And how it would spread. And did they really understand that seed sown in their heart. How it would change them. And then how it would change those around them. And how it would grow. So stop and think for a moment. They need to understand the kingdom, don't they? They need to understand how this teaching would impact them individually. And they need to understand what it would do to them individually. 
When you think about Peter, when you think about Paul, you think the Gospel changed them? Absolutely. You ever known anybody prior to becoming or prior to being a Christian and then they become a Christian and how it changes their life? And you think, wow, I knew that guy when. <laughs> That's probably what some people would say about me. Wow, I knew that guy when. <laughs> and now. So here's the illustration. Someone said, if you take the Mona Lisa and you remove it from its frame and you put it in a garage sale and you surround it by trinkets and clutter and old clothes and old shoes and all those kind of things, people will walk right by it and won't pay any attention. But if you take it and you frame it, even in that garage sale, you take it and you frame it and you display it and you set it up where folks can see it. They say, wow, that's different than all this. So you know what God did? I want to sow this seed and I want to sow it in men's hearts. And it's going to transform their lives. One at a time. And he said, I want them to become like Romans 8 and verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Become like that. And Romans 13, about verses 8 through 10. There's a law, there's a principle that we live under. You know what it is? It's love. Because Paul says, for whatever else is a part of the law, is summed up by love. And so he teaches us. That's what guides us. That's how we live. That sets us apart. That makes us different. So you know what Paul says over in Ephesians, the second chapter, about verses 8 through 10? You've been saved by grace through faith, and that is not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works. You've been saved by grace, by God's love, planted in your heart to change you, to become like Him. And then you know what he says in verse 10? For you are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are His workmanship. That word there, it means masterpiece. That's what God did in you. That's His masterpiece. I sowed that seed in that heart and look what it did. It turned him into a masterpiece. And Jesus asked, Do you understand? Do you think they understood? 
not fully at that moment. They said they did. They've come to understand. And then he says, if you understand, you'll be like a scribe, bringing out things out of your household, both new and old. There was an old kingdom, and there was a way in which it was established. And there was a new kingdom, and the way in which it was established. And there's a king, and there's a law, the new covenant. And there is subjects, those who bow the knee. Christians, they're called in the New Testament. And the territory over which he rules is the hearts of men. Do you understand? That's the question Jesus asked. I'm going to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you do, and you've never rendered obedience to him. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Through simple faith and confession, repentance, turning back to him, and being buried with him in water for the forgiveness of your sins. You come forth a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. A new creature in Christ. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.